Coop's house. All right. We're playing Tulsa again. Yeah, they're they're really making they're really making yeah, they're really making us do that again. Playing Tulsa one more time. 8950 the first time. One more time. You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach Parker Angel, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater game to step by, please be sure to hit subscribe down below. That way you get the latest on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Uh, welcome back to YouTube channel. It's good to see you again. We are uh, over 550 subscribers. By the time you listen to this, we're probably in the 560s uh, if things continue to trend upward. So thank you for smashing subscribe. Uh, remember, when we get to 750, we're going to give away another care package. Uh, it's going to involve, I think, a size extra large version of those uh, the Galen Robinson des- uh, designed letter jackets that Houston Cougars for the city. Really, really cool stuff. Um excited to get that package out there into your hands so to get to that a hit the subscribe button b like and comment the video so know you're entering if after listening to this podcast that is primarily about previewing the tulsa game on wednesday night you're not feeling like talking about tulsa tell us uh do you like brisket or ribs all right so in the first segment we're going to kind of break down the tulsa matchup by looking at the first round of this uh, home and home we got going with the Golden Hurricane. Um, won the most competitive game, but there are things to take away there. Second segment, we're going to look some at Kelvin Sampson's comments on Tuesday. Not a whole lot on Tulsa, but more program-wide kinds of things in his media availability. And then in the third segment, I saw two tweets to keep my eye on um, that, frankly, at a later date, and we don't have basketball games to talk about, might get their own show. But I kind of want to just mention them and frankly, let you pick which one do you want to get their own show later. But first, let's talk about the Tulsa matchup. Now, in the first game, Houston won 89 to 50. Yes, you heard that correct. It was 89 to 50. And that was the largest road win in a conference road game for the Houston Cougars in program history. Um, it was also their first conference game as their welcome to the American Athletic Conference after a grueling non-conference schedule, no matter what people at the major networks will tell you Houston had a difficult non-conference schedule with what looks like it might be depending on how Alabama does in the sec, like five or six conference champions in that non-conference schedule. They end up blowing out Tulsa in their place on December 28th. Uh, no starter broke 30 minutes in that game. Several guys, I think Houston had, I believe it's four guys in the teens. Uh, sorry. Three guys in the teens and Marcus Sasser had 12. Um, but, you know, it was just kind of very even scoring kind of game at the surface level, right? Houston won running away. Um, didn't seem like Tulsa could get anything going on offense for big, big stretches. Had 14 turnovers as a team, which I don't think tells the full story about some of their rush shots at the end of shot clocks functioning like turnovers. Uh, Houston held them to just 33.9% shooting on the night. Um, and frankly, I thought it was more impressive for how good Tulsa shoots the three ball in the first matchup, Houston was able to keep them at home to just 20% shooting from three. Tulsa has multiple guys that shoot over 38%. One guy that shoots 45% from three. 
from three-point land, and Houston was able to do that to them in the first matchup. Um, guys that stood out in the first matchup, Emmanuel Shark came in off the bench, hit a couple threes, went three or five from three-point line. Terrence Arsenal was able to get in the game and really make an impact offensively because the game was not moving too fast for him defensively, and he was really make, able to make an impact in his second half minutes. Um, the big schematic thing that I love from this one in watching some of the clips back is, if you remember, um, Tulsa made a conscious decision to run Houston off the three-point line. Right Now, Houston did get, if I'm checking this correctly, 23 pointers off, right? Um, and shot, you know, seven to 20 from them. That's just over a third, right? That's pretty, that's solid, right? However, Tulsa running them off the three point line meant that, you know, they were pushing them into two point land, right? Obviously. And Tulsa refused to bring their bigs up to help. So there was no drop offs to the Juwan Roberts, the Reggie Cheney's, Javier Francis's, right? Um, so what ended up happening instead, you had a mid-range clinic, right? Marcus Asher, gah, 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 mid-range. Jamon Mark, gah, 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 mid-range, right? Uh, even Jamal Shade got on the action a little bit. That's how Terrence Arsenal got his points when he's turning in the game. Um, and frankly, getting in that and then pulling in the help side guard, because the help side big was not going to come up, is actually how Emmanuel Sharp got his threes as well, right? The idea was attack the nail, attack that spot with guards, and let them cook. This was not uh, Jared Walker's best game. He played 23 minutes, had just six points. Um, and I'd imagine we've seen the growth in him over the last month plus since that game that he gets in on that action and attacking the mid-range, going past the defense that overhelps on three-point line, right? Um, and so I, I don't know if Tulsa really wants to stick with that. And I guess analytically, a long two is the worst shot in basketball, right? Um I could see them trying that again. I think Houston's built to, to do that. Um, Tremont Mark loves the one-pound pull-up. Marcus Sasser obviously shoots so well at the dribble. And we've seen Jairus Walker pump fake into a two-dribble floater beautifully multiple times of each of the last couple games. And I thought it was a big, big sticking point for him in Temple was once he did that, they had start sending two to him, right? Um, so I don't know what Tulsa does differently because personnel, they're forcing Houston to the worst shot that they think they can get them into. Uh, and that was on the road. Now, I will say to Tulsa's credit, one way to beat the Cougs would be to outscore them. Uh, now, that's easier said than done against Houston defense. But early on in the first matchup, it looked like they might. Celebungay um, is their big man. Uh, he's not horribly, like, a, he's not a giant the same way that, like, Reynolds was at uh, Temple. Also, I had someone correct me last, but it's worth pointing out that they were right. Reynolds is listed at, like, 270 but after his injury and stuff like that, he's definitely more like 300 pounds. I definitely undersold how large he was. But Brian Selmenge, um, big man for Tulsa. In the early part of the game, they ran this weave offense where there's all we run the three-point line. And then eventually after a dribble handoff or a screen, he slips and rolls the basket really, really hard. And Houston pressures the ball. And at that point in the season, Houston was having trouble tagging the roller. Jairus Walker got subbed out for it early in the first half because he was not tagging the roller from the backside giving up easy dunks. Selbenge had finished with just 13 points, but at eight in the first, like 120 seconds, 128 seconds of basketball, right? Like he felt like, oh man, this might be another guy that Houston makes look like a pro. Um, however, Houston took Jairus out, put Reggie Cheney in, um, put uh, Javier Francis in, watch those guys kind of cook a little bit, fix things, and then kind of start running away with the game. Um, a, Houston's gotten much better that. Jairus Walker's gotten much better that, of course, the season. B, I'm more interested to see can Selbenge or anyone 
in that role position for Tulsa, do the next step, which does occasionally give Houston trouble, is turn that short roll into a creator. Does Salbunga get like five assists by rolling and then kicking to the, wherever the tag is coming from, right? We'll see if those kinds of things happen. I I don't know that they will. What I will say is if they do start to happen and Tulsa can get easier threes, they've got, uh, what's the kid's first name? Betson. What's Betson's first name? Um pulling it up because i can't remember it apparently um brandon betson sorry he's shooting 45 percent from the three-point line um sam griffin is a sharpshooter on the season as well he's not necessarily shooting particularly well in the last houston game um and then uh tim dalger is a guy that started from the last handful of games that was not a he played like 15 or 18 minutes like uh just getting 20 minutes in the first matchup once it was already garbage time feeling but tim dalger is a six seven uh, he shoots, gets can get hot from the three point line. Um, a perimeter guy for sure, not just a catch and shoot perimeter guy either, like an actual perimeter guy. And he gave Wichita State twenty four points in the last outing on Sunday. Um, and so I'm really, really looking forward to see what is Tulsa like. We've seen you and I have how Houston's grown up in the last month and change. How has Tulsa grown up in the last month and change? I want to talk about that a little bit in the second segment before jumping into uh, Samson's segments. But first, I do need to talk a little bit about our buddies at FanDuel. Now, FanDuel is the place to place all your bets for Super Bowl 57. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner in FanDuel because they're the number one sports book in America. And if you're a fan, if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download the FanDuel now. So uh, you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything, the money line, the point spreads, to who will win and who will score a touchdown. Now, we'll talk a lot about Super Bowl 57. Locked on Eagles, locked on Chiefs. Like Those guys are doing a great job breaking it down all week long. Locked on today as well. But today I want to talk about the lines in this Houston and Tulsa matchup. The uh, line is Houston minus 26 and a half. Now that's an absurdly high uh, value to be favored by a thing that Houston's going to win with 27 points or more in a conference game is crazy to think about. However, the first matchup was a 39 point victory and that was on the road. I think I'm taking Houston over on this one. Now the more interesting thing to me is, do you want to go over or under the point total of a of 138.5 points. The first matchup was 139 points, right? As crazy as it was that Houston scored 89, their defense is so strong that they actually kept it around that 138.5 mark. You don't you think of that as being a 70 to 70 game. So once team scores 89, it's like, oh man, of course, right? However, I think I'm actually going to take the over on this. I think Houston will again be in the 80s. Tulsa looks better uh, if you watch some of the clips from the later games. And I'm thinking they're going to break that 50-point margin, be closer to the 60-65 range. And so you get more like a you know 26.5, 28-point win if Houston gets to like close to 90. Uh, you're looking like maybe a 30-point win for Houston. Um, but that quickly adds up to more than 138. So that's what I'm saying. I'm going to recommend doing. I'm going to recommend you do it at fanduelcom slash locked on. The sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid for your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at fanduelcom slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57 
or on the Houston Cougar basketball team. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right. So in the second segment, I want to talk a little bit about what Tulsa's looked like and then what Samson had to say about them as well. So in their last, I guess Houston was their first conference game as well, I should point out. So since then, they've only won one conference game. They beat Tulane at home in overtime um, by just two points. It was a close contest. Now, they've had a couple of other close contests, but six of those losses since they played Houston last have been by double digits. Um, I do think Tim Dalger, if you look at their scores, has been a fairly impactful starter as of late when they moved into the starting lineup. I think he's done some good things. And again, I meant, as I mentioned, he had 24 points against Wichita State. Um, but on the whole, this doesn't look like a team that has grown leaps and bounds in the sense that they'll like beat Houston. I just think it's going to look a little different and it won't look like the drumming that it was up there, right? Um, Tulsa probably finishes last in the conference this year and is probably, you know, looking to ride this, you know, coach out for a couple more seat, maybe one more season for really reevaluating things. But I thought Kelvin Sampson and his media availability had an interesting thing to say about him because when asked about Tulsa directly, coach Sampson mentioned that uh, playing that hard and still competing at this point in the season, after all the things they've been through is a sign of good coaching and sign of good culture. And I think that that's interesting thing about like, when you think about the dog days of Houston basketball, at this point in the season, you kind of felt like guys were out to get their own buckets. You felt like guys were out to get their own stats. Maybe even the modern transfer window, you'd be thinking like, oh man, this guy's just trying to get to the next program, right? However, at the end of the day, what's happening in Tulsa is guys are just trying to find ways to get better week to week. Um, both teams are coming off of games uh, – just played on Sunday. I guess Tulsa played at home and is now coming to Houston. Houston played on the road and is now coming home. So both teams travel, right? Um, but on the whole, I think that's an interesting thing to point out. Like, oh, the fact that Tulsa still opens the games competing and is still trying to find ways to win is a tip of the cap moment to um, what to Coach uh, Conkle, Con- uh, Eric Conkle, um, and what he's doing up there. Now, I I don't think that that means that Houston has anything to be worried about. However, I guess I've thought that before. Um, Coach was also quick to point out, like, you know, in this first game against Tulsa, Emmanuel Sharp kind of came off the bench, did some things, and he's worked his way into be kind of a regular sub. Sharp is fitting in well. And Coach, you know, said that Terrence is still kind of finding his way. Um, someone, I think Andy asked him about the freshmen, right, and how they're fitting into mistakes they're making and things they're fixing and those kinds of things. And it sounds like Sharp has kind of cemented himself as, like, Coach's, go to guard off the bench in a lot of ways. Um, Terrence working his way there, right? Obviously with Ramon being out of injury and then stepping away from the team for a second. And now he's shut down for the year with the medical red shirt. Like I think Ramon would actually play a bigger role, but he's not right now. Right. Um, <laughs> now uh, I think it was Duarte of the Chronicle, but asked Samson fairly directly, um, you know, you're, you're undefeated on the road. You have, you've lost two of your home games. Now you're a very good basketball team, but like, do you prefer, would you prefer to go back to Tulsa and play these guys again? And uh, asked about like Jamal Shedd's comments about, you know, having a great mentality on the road and like kind of the road warrior mentality and like go in their house, take over their house kind of, kind of guys. And the, the line of the day was Kevin Sam, Kevin Sampson saying, 
don't get it twisted. I'd rather play at home. <laughs> like, yes, we have that mentality. Yes, we do those things. Yes, we're good on the road. I like it here. <laughs> right. Um, funny, funny moment. Um, but not the funniest moment of the press conference. Funniest moment of the press conference was the last question in which, again, Samson does these interviews on Zoom with a giant Jordan logo behind him because in his office, he has the UH times Jordan, right? Or by Jordan uh, logo behind him. And so when it zooms in on his face at his desk, the Jordan logo is directly behind his head. All Houston gear he wears is Jordan sponsored right now. Obviously, as you can see behind me, I'm a fan. But it was funny to hear uh, Samson when asked directly about the impact of the Jordan brand relationship. I think it's a five-year-old relationship at this point. Um, Samson pointed out first that like it's the first thing kids talk about when he goes in their house. As a recruit, as, out on the recruiting trail, he wears Houston gear, wears Jordans all the time, and he doesn't know what they are. But the kids do. The kids say, oh, I like your threes. I like your 11s. I like your nines. I like whatever, right? And the kids know all about the shoes he has on. When it sounds like Samson just either thinks they're comfortable, thinks they're stylish, or thinks they match the shirt he's got on, right? Like, whatever direction he's going that day, that's kind of where he's sitting on it. And I thought that was really, really funny that he's connecting with the recruits kind of unintentionally. He's just wearing the team shoes. Um, but he also pointed out that this relationship was something he kind of saw coming. I guess he, it sounds like he built up uh, the relationship with Jordan over with Michael Jordan himself, not the brand, over the course of time in basketball. And then, like kind of started these conversations about nine or 10 months before the rest of us heard about it five years ago. And that like that year there was Kelvin Sampson and Houston and then San Diego state alma mater of Kawhi Leonard who at the time wore Jordan brand as well. They both came into the Jordan brand family together. Um, but I, I think it's worth pointing out that, that that is a major recruiting advantage. Um, the guys wear Jordans on all the road trips, the guy wear Jordans all around campus, the guys wear Jordans in all the ad spots they do. Um, and, Frankly, uh, for whatever you think about them, they're all playing in red and white or black and red or all red colorways, more or less of the exact same Jordan shoe, right? They're all wearing the Luka Doncic. Uh, it's Luka Doncic one. It's a Jordan brand shoe. It's low top. It's still got some stability in the heel. It's a really, really good shoe. Um, it's a good performance shoe. It's really, really accessible. And if you're in the high school basketball scene, again, uh, Houston-born teacher and coach, I can tell you firsthand that the Luka Doncic shoe is all over high school basketball courts across the state of Texas, right? It's a very popular shoe for kids in that age range. We have a young college team at University of Houston. Of course, you're going to have them in all different colorways as well. It's nice that Houston also wears red, white, and black because that's the color that, in homage to the Jordan Bulls, most Jordans come out in, <laughs> right? Like that's all syncing up and working pretty well together. Um, but Samson pointing out that it is used as a recruiting tool is really, really interesting to me. Um, and obviously, again, sneaker guy, we could go on and on about that. If you want to talk about sneakers and like the Jordan brand kind of stuff, I guess throw something in the comments. Maybe we'll throw an episode out about that or a bonus piece or something. I like the way that goes. Um, now, lastly, thing about Tulsa is hearing Samson feel kind of relaxed, um, looking at what Tulsa has done since the last matchup, re-breaking down that first matchup. Um, I'm confident, and I don't mean to sound cocky. I, I I think Houston wins by 30. I mentioned I'm looking at like a 90 to 60 score. Um, I guess it could be 68 to 58. I'm looking at a 30-point win. And what's noticeable? That's a full nine points less than they won the first time on the road, right? I think that that is the improvement in Tulsa I'm looking at. They're, you know, 
nine points and they're on the road. So really that's like going up in like 12 or 15 points. I just think that that's as close as it gets, right? Is, is around 25 or 30 and I'm hedging 30 at home. Got to like the home crowd. It's been a while since they had the home crowd, et cetera, right? Social media team already doing a great job pumping up the home crowd. So that's, that's where my thought is. That's my prediction is if you got a prediction, throw in the comments down below. All right. In the third segment, I said, I want to talk some about a couple of tweets that I thought were interesting as they pertain to Houston and that may get their own episode someday down the line. So let's talk about what those tweets look like. Um, first, a tweet um, from, oh, where'd it go? A tweet from, I changed the page, uh, the college football playoff, right? Molly Hansen, reporter, said that in her inbox, tomorrow, Mayor, uh, so as you're listening to this on Thursday, Mayor Sylvester Turner and uh, elected officials across Houston will join the Houston Host Committee to announce that Houston is hosting the 2024 College Football Playoff National Championship, the first time in the city's history. Now, what's awesome about this is that Houston gets the Final Four in spring of 23 as a city and the College Football Championship game in January 24 in the same stadium, right? Um, Final Four functions as a dress rehearsal this spring in a lot of ways for welcoming oodles and oodles of college sports media to town, right? Um, it would be great if I were as confident that the Houston Cougar football team would have a shot at that as I am that the college basketball, the Houston Cougar basketball team has a shot at the final four. Um, I don't want to knock on wood. I like to see seedings. I think there are some matchups that would give Houston problems in a one game sample. If they played like three or seven game series, I'd actually feel really confident in Houston going the way. But um, that said, I do look at that as like interesting, you know, Houston joins the big 12 Houston builds up this basketball program. Houston starts signing these top end four star recruits. Um, It's becoming a player in a way that you have the big city aspect of hosting these events, the big conference aspect in the big 12, and you're hoping to get the big program aspect. Now, some of it as Holgerson and Samson would both attest are facilities, right? That, Big 12 check needs to clear so we can start spending it, right? Um, but the like buzz around college sports is there. And I think there's something to be said about being the host city. Um, obviously, it takes being a city. So like we're not going to Tuscaloosa for these games, right? Um, we're not we're not going to Ann Arbor. I guess you might go to Detroit if you got to play indoors, but you're you're going to big cities, LA, Dallas, Houston. Orlando, Miami, Phoenix, right? Big cities, warm weather because it's going to be in January, whatever, right? Um, But on that short list, Houston could be one of the best football programs in one of those big cities, right? I think it's a big advantage in modern college football. And I know Ryan, uh, back when we had our episode about NIL, discussed this idea like actually big city NIL could be more difficult. But I think it's also easier to recruit kids to the big city because there are already a lot of city kids that are really, really highly touted recruits. And we've talked about Houston being recruiting this recruiting bed. Keeping Houston in Houston only gets easier if you're going to do things like play college football playoff games and championships in town, right? Um, I think that's all really working in Houston's favor. I'm intrigued by that. I can't wait to see what it looks like as they're putting out the formulas. Um, and frankly, man, it'd be nice if Hulkerson could put together like, you know, a, a 12 and one big, big 12 season 
and and work its way in the playoffs, pull off an upset, get into like how crazy chaotic would that be? I don't think it's impossible. I'm just not a betting man. I'm not sure going to put dollars down on that. But with that said, uh, the second tweet I want to look at um, is one that actually came, um, I guess, a little earlier in the day, but it hit my inbox a little later. That's reporter Brett McMurphy uh, says that Pac-12 commissioner George Klivkoff, I'm sorry if I'm I'm saying that wrong, and I'm sorry about it, uh, is visiting SMU on Wednesday, sources told Action Network. San Diego State and SMU are top Pac-12 expansion candidates. The Pac-12 needs more members and more inventory for new media rights deal, which is expected to rely heavily on digital streaming services. Now, here's the deal here. Is SMU's in Texas, and that adds a state to the deal. I could go on and on, but at the end of the day, these companies want to see a broad, like a broad plan of TVs, like can you get the DFW Metroplex if you get SMU? The argument the Pac-12 would make is, yes, I don't know that that's true, but that are, that's the argument they'd make, right? And so in doing that, I get why SMU is an appealing you know, candidate to the fourth or fifth best power five, depending on the year, right? But with that being said, the part of this that made me sad is not that SMU is going to be a power five team one day. Although I, I did like having that slight advantage for a little while in recruiting over that team up by 45. This kind of feels like it puts the nail in the coffin about Houston and SMU playing in football again, and makes it really, really difficult to think that they do it in basketball regularly. Um, obviously they can't play in the fall of 23. The schedules are set. Um, but I guess it just had this outside hope that much like SMU plays TCU and they're not in the same conference or stratosphere, but they play each other every year in non-conference and Houston plays Rice every year in non-conference, even though Houston's continually in a bigger conference and moving into a much bigger conference that if SMU was in a small conference and Houston was in a big conference, you might still have some shot much like SMU already plays one big 12 team and Houston would be another Big 12 team. When Houston was not a Big 12 team last year, they played two Big 12 teams. Could you work that angle and get SMU to come play Houston? Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's quite as simple. Now, I guess you could do Power 5 versus Power 5 in the you know opening weekend of college football. We've seen teams kick off at Jerry World. Uh, was it USC and Alabama that year where USC got smacked? Um, I, I guess Houston could go up there and smack SMU and Jerry World to open up the season that just seems much more difficult to do once they're a Pac-12 team or once they're a Power 5 team than it is when bluntly, Houston would be paying them a decent chunk of change to do it in a non-conference format if they were a smaller conference team. When they're both Power 5s, they kind of split the pot in a way that isn't quite the same rub. Now, I say that to say that I like the I-45 rivalry. I like going back and forth. Um, And frankly, the football game, while it lacked defensive, that's your jam, was electric. There's a touchdown every four minutes last year. Um, and so, obviously, I knew it wasn't going to be played in the fall of 23. I just had higher hopes that it come back. And this feels like it might be the thing getting in the way of it coming back. If you disagree, let me know. If you want to see or expand or dive deeper into those stories as they come out, A, I'll be following them on Twitter. So, make sure you follow me at Twitter at Painter512. And B... Tell us which storyline you like in the comments below, and maybe if things get a little slow, we'll, we'll talk about one a little bit more um, and kind of dive deeper into what it could mean. Uh, I think both tweets were 
not directly about the University of Houston, but kind of impact the University of Houston in a weird, weird way. So find me at Painsworth 512. It's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H 512. We'll talk about Houston Cougar football, basketball. I guess baseball is starting soon, and we look we look like we're doing okay to start that softball as well. Um, you can also talk with me about the Houston Rockets, Astros, Texans. Uh, obviously, I mentioned my sneaker wall behind me, that hip-hop, whatever, all at Painsworth 512 and all your social media handles, P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H 5. One, two. It looks like at this point, LeBron James is up to 20 points in his pursuit to get to 36 and then take the scoring title away. So that's what I'm going to go do. But thank you all so much for tuning in to Locked on Cougs today. If you're looking for a second listen, I'm going to recommend Locked on Big 12 to see what they think about some of the same things. Uh, Josh does a great job with that show covering the entire Big 12 conference from top to bottom. It's a conference we need to get acquainted with. So make sure you go check out that one for your second listen. Locked on Cougs is proud of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Go Cougs!